0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
3: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Puppies and kitties. Books and movies. Yes, we love these. Listen to this podcast, please.
5: Hi everybody! It's it's March first here in Recording Land, so welcome to March, everyone. Um, hope your month is off to a good start. Um, we're here to discuss Nomadland, and later in the episode, we will have an interview with Nicole Glover, um, who wrote the conductors, which just came out on. March second, so that's the past for you, but that's the future for us because that's how time works. <laughs> um, so enjoy. It's tricky, that like that time. Yeah. Um, so my intro question is uh, nomad land related. Um, if you left everything in your current life behind—home, job, friends, family, pets, responsibilities that you have now, etc.—what would you go
3: do um do i have money
5: i mean you have everything you have now except you're just like you're not you're getting rid of all your responsibilities so you have the same resources you have now
3: um i don't know that i could really do much <laughs> with these resources <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah.
5: i mean like that's the, that's the point i got you know, like this isn't like wish fulfillment this is just this like, is what just would you a trick without? intro
3: question, yeah, it's not like what would I do? I mean, what like, would be this fun? Is,
5: this is what <laughs> look, we're talking about nomad land today, so... what would you do if this you found yourself you in a horrible situation? um I mean, I don't know, it doesn't bother me that much. The idea of not having my job or what about not having the cats but not having the cats is horrible, yes.
2: You know. Anyway. Well, I'll try to answer this, I guess. Okay. This is Susan. Um, I, okay. If I, you know, had had some money saved before I did this, then, like, it would be nice to, like, buy an old-ass big car that I could live in and take that Mm -hmm. with me and actually see places and enjoy it. Um, however, that doesn't actually sound like something I would want to do, uh, unless I had to. (sighs) So, uh, if I didn't have any money, I don't know. I guess I would call everyone I knew and, and see if they wanted roommates. (laughs) Or I'd try to open some kind of, uh, I'd try to find some empty land and open some sort of animal rescue and just hope people donated money to us.
4: I don't know. This is Mary. It's hard to imagine because I think I would be very bad at living with few resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. I mean, I. I guess that's the point. But I. I. I would be that person that like accidentally froze to death. <laughs> like I would be. Like I mean, it's like it's funny a little bit to say that in that flip a boy but like I don't think I think enough about like how privileged I am to not have grown up like lacking basic necessities so I think if I found myself like in this situation now as an adult I would be really bad at it and not make it
5: like you could go get another job
4: oh I could get another job
5: yeah, you just can't have the job you have now. Um, like, she has, she gets a job. She's, she just chooses to, like, drive around and be, like, that's what she chooses
3: to do. Um, I'll go. Nobody,
4: Nobody <laughs> wants to hire me now.
3: This is such a hard question. Yeah. Well, I'm, like – I'm just, like – I'm not <laughs> sure what – because, like, I could also – I could find another job in my same industry because of what I do because I don't work in an industry that is on the brink of collapse necessarily. Um, But yeah, I think if I were or, like, if I were to – if something dramatic happened in my life and I wanted to leave everything behind um, and change and shift, I think I would maybe – um look into doing I would want to go to like Europe um and look into doing the like sort of farm exchange programs that people have where they have like you can like live on a farm for a couple of months and work for the farm and in return you get like a room and board and like food basically um and I always thought that that was very like romantic seeming and i had a couple friends who did it in college over the summer one of my friends went to like new zealand and did that for three months and i think that would be really cool yeah my stepbrother did that in new zealand it's just not something that i see myself doing like with the life that i currently have um i'm not really like a pick up and leave kind of person but i uh i always thought that it would be really interesting also to just learn about farming and kind of a completely different way of life. So.
5: Yeah. Um, this is Emily. I am currently looking into leaving the
3: country permanently.
5: One of the things that makes that difficult is having cats. Um, so if I didn't have cats, I would absolutely leave the country, um, first thing.
3: Um, you don't want to end up like Johnny Depp. I mean, obviously.
5: Like obviously, can't do that right now in this second because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But let's just say that there's not a pandemic, and that I can go to a different country. I would go to a different country. Um, I'm assuming because I said that I had to leave my job, that I can't do freelance writing anymore. Um, so I would probably try to like either teach online, or ideally, I I'm, I know it's very hard to find these jobs because it's a very highly coveted position. But ideally, I would work at a cat cafe, Mm -hmm. so maybe I would just have to open my own somewhere. Um,
2: You can put it next to a dog farm.
5: (laughs) But, you know, like, that was the first thing I thought about. Like, if if we're in a situation where I'm like, okay, I can't have pets because I'm, like, traveling around or whatever, um, the first thing I would want to do is, like, find a work situation where I would get to be with animals because – yeah, I just can't imagine a life without animals. I would have to figure out some sort of way to have contact with animals
2: to keep me sane. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. You know, what's interesting about this question is, like, we are, we are for people who would be able to find resources, probably. Um, yeah. Because we are people with privilege. Mm-hmm. And so there there yeah. is such a huge difference between, like, choosing to do something like this like, for mm. fun and adventure versus, like, this is out of necessity. Like, I know right? more than one person who has lived um, kind of a nomadic lifestyle. I dated a guy that stayed in his car um, for a bit. Uh, I have a friend who does this also. Um, but they're not – they have money. So, like – They have so much more access to things. Well, aside from money, what I want to also
5: note is that um, age plays a role in this as well. Like, we're all at a point in our lives where, like, we could potentially still move into a different industry or do something else and not be, like, seen as, like, an undesirable candidate Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. position necessarily. Um, Most of the people that we see in Nomadland are older, Mm -hmm yeah um would be considered seniors um and it it just gets there's a certain point ageism plays into this a lot but there's just a certain point that you reach in your life where it's like it just becomes more difficult to start over for many reasons Yeah,
3: like we all have our health
5: Um, too. so that plays right that plays into our privilege as well and yeah so but yeah interesting question it's it's interesting too and we'll talk we'll get into this as we um uh get into some of the other questions about nomadland but um the way i viewed this was a little bit different than the way some of the people who reviewed it viewed it so we'll talk about that when we get there um but yeah and I'll, yeah, I'll link, I'll link back to this in the way I talk about it. So you'll be like, oh, yeah, remember? She said she was going <laughs> to bring that up again. Here it is. Okay. Um, and so now that you're dying to know all of that, <coughs> I also want to briefly mention. Uh, so, again, we are recording this on March 1st. Um, so that means last night Nomadland won two Golden Globes um, for Best picture and, or best dramatic, whatever, however they break it up. Best drama. Yeah. Best drama. And then Chloe Zhao also won Best Director. And um, what's interesting about this is that she is the first woman of color to ever win in this category. And she's only the second woman to ever win in this category. Um, So, first of all, congrats. To Nomadland and con- con- yeah. congrats to, to Chloe Zhao. That's awesome. Congrats, but also <laughs> fuck um, you, Golden Globes. Quick rant: Golden Globes has a long way to go in terms of race and gender representation. What a mess. Um, I also just want to note um, Minari, which is not a movie that we've talked about on the podcast, but is a movie that I've seen and really enjoyed. Um, was nominated in the best foreign film category. It's an American film. um, Really fucking offensive. If you watch the movie, it's very much an American story about immigrants living in America. And the fact that it is put into the foreign film category just shows how much um, a lot of Americans don't see the immigrant experience as an American experience. Um, And I just feel like – I just needed to rant about that mm-hmm. for a second because that's really fucked
3: well, up. Well, and the way that they skirt around that is that it's the foreign language uh, category, not necessarily foreign film. But it's like – who's to say that it's a foreign language when there are a lot of people living in this country who speak all different kinds of languages? Like It just
5: yes.
4: – it feels insulting.
5: And it's not all foreign – like – a lot of it is in English, too. And that's part of the American experience is, like, people having to code switch right. between, like, how they speak and what language they speak at home versus, like, what language they speak when they go out into the world. Like, this is all part of the American experience. Minari was a very American right.
3: movie. Like, how many it. subtitles um, does the same thing have good. to have before it becomes foreign, <laughs> okay. you know? A hundred percent unquote. subtitles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but,
5: you know... So I hate to put disclaimers on these winners. Congrats to Minari for winning. To Nomadland. No, Minari won too. Congrats oh, to Minari okay. for winning for Best Foreign Film. But uh, sorry that you had to be in that category. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm looking forward to watching it's just that. It's like a really weird.
4: Here's what we do, Emily. What's that? Write a script what? in Simlish. <laughs> we film our Simlish <laughs> film.
3: And we win this category. Oh man. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that. And it should be, is it is it available for rent now? Is it going to be streaming somewhere? Minari. Minari.
5: Um, yeah, I think it's streaming. I think it might be on Hulu. Let me okay. see. Um, it's not. But you can um, you can get it on uh, Amazon Prime. And, uh, yeah, you have to pay $20 for yeah. it because, you know, that's the
2: way it is. I didn't know about any of this. I'm so – I feel like I'm very behind in, like, new movie land now that – I mean, it's easy to be I guess behind. I always was kind of behind, but now that you can't, like, really go to see them – Well, yeah. you can, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, like, way off. But I'm glad you brought this up because this is – that is so – interesting and messed up yeah
5: so i i know that that's not what we're here to talk about today but since i'm not you know a lot of times i do write a blog post about the golden globes i don't have the energy for all of that i just wanted to at least bring up this one thing that i think is like yeah
3: really bad no it's for sure is um so (laughs) it for sure is and yeah so if you if you have uh twenty dollars that you are looking to spend on a movie maybe check out minari um I mean, I would say that it's worth $20.
5: It was a very good movie. I, I enjoyed it.
4: I just want to say one quick thing about the Golden Globes. It was super, there was a weird energy of ha ha ha, we all know that the show and the people who vote on these categories, <laughs> it's all super racist and it's not diverse yeah. at all. But tee hee, we're going to air it anyway and give it a bunch of attention and yeah, act like it's an important thing and that just it really pissed me off because yeah. it yeah. just felt like condoning it like if you really have a problem with it don't air it yeah or like fix it and then right air it. or and, like, you know don't host it tina Fey and amy poehler yeah
3: well they don't have a great track record when it comes to <laughs> uh especially yeah. tina Fey.
5: should we get Back
3: to our regularly
5: scheduled program. Yeah, yes. Let's do it. After that brief time. The briefest. Thrilling. It was okay. so brief. Ten seconds at most. Um Just so you know, spoilers to come for Nomadland. The interview with Nicole Glover about the conductors will be spoiler free. And I just want to go ahead and say up at the top, Nicole Glover was freaking delightful. You don't want to miss this interview. So if you want to skip... The spoilers, you can go ahead and skip right ahead to that Nicole Glover interview. We'll see you there. Hi, everybody who stayed. We're glad you're here. Um, Quick summary of Nomadland. This is according to RogerEbert.com, just to, like, switch things up a little bit. Um, Nomadland is about a woman in her 60s who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling, modern-day nomad. I also want to just note her van's name is Vanguard. Just seemed like something. Which,
4: immediately, I was like, (laughs) Nexium. (laughs) Yeah. Immediately, you're like, Keith Raniere. (laughs) Keith Raniere. Let's see. It's um, playing volleyball somewhere.
5: (laughs) I don't, I don't really... I think y'all are making that connection. I don't think that's there. So I didn't put that in it's, here. It's uh,
2: just um, a
4: connection
5: for me. Yeah.
2: If you know, you know. Okay.
5: So let's talk about the main character, Fern, for a minute. Um, I put a link in here. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, in an interview... F- With the um, Toronto International Film Festival, Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao said they wanted Fern, who is Francis McDormand's character, to be the guide for the viewers into this nomadic world. They also said they didn't want viewers to worry about Fern or fear for her. They wanted them to just follow her in this journey. How did you react to Fern as a character and what were your thoughts on her as a guide?
4: I am shocked to hear that they didn't want people to worry or fear for her because Mm -hmm. i had that same the entire film i was like she's gonna die at the end of this movie (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. i thought she was gonna freeze i I just thought that's how it was gonna end especially i didn't have that reaction i didn't think she was
5: gonna die but i was like this woman is Clearly depressed and in a grief spiral and needs help. Well, you know. Like, I don't think she's okay. I thought she was
4: going to die because she had this, like, long conversation with Swanky at one point where Swanky said, you know – I'm not gonna make it, I have cancer, I'm gonna go out into the wilderness and see some cool nature, and then I'm just gonna do what I have to do. And I was like, this is setting it up. Like, she's, Fern is so depressed, she's so in this well of grief, and unable to come out mm-hmm. of it. Like, rightfully so. This is what's going to happen. But it didn't. So like, I'm just yeah. surprised to hear like, oh, we didn't intend for people to worry about her because I worried about her through the whole thing.
5: This would be a good place also to mention that um, the that thing I was talking about up at the top about these reviewers, I've listened to a lot of reviews today on YouTube because that's where I stay. Um, I listened to a lot of reviews today. That said that they didn't feel like this movie was condemning this lifestyle or making any statements about it. It was just showing it. And I was like, I really did not feel this. Like, I felt really sorry for these people. And I was, like, watching this thinking, well, the American dream is bullshit. Mm -hmm. All of these people are in this situation because, like, this country's retirement plan for people is fucked up. We don't take care of people. Like, they're losing all of their money paying for medical bills. This person had, like, what, $50 for retirement? It comes up later. But anyway, like, I was like, I don't understand how this is not making a statement about these people. Yeah, I think – Like, I don't think it's condemning their lifestyle, but I think it's saying, like, they didn't have a choice.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Like, they can say they had a choice, but this is, like, the best choice they had.
3: Yeah. I think – um I think it does depend – I think we are spending a lot of time with a specific section of the, like, community of van-dwelling people, which is older people who, who are definitely mm-hmm. doing this more out of desperation in a lot of cases. In a couple instances, she meets up with some younger people, like that one guy with his guitar and stuff, and, like, he seemed a little more, like – we didn't really get his story, but, like, I think that there there are people who do this because – this is the kind of lifestyle they want to have. And I, I think that the movie is definitely not condemning people like that. Um, (laughs) because some people, I, I think that the view that some, um, people might have of people who choose to live this kind of lifestyle is like the view that maybe when Fern is at her sister's and is talking to that group of people and they're like, well, you just picked up and left, blah, blah, blah. Or you were always a free spirit. You didn't ever want to stick around. I missed you. All this stuff, yeah. this idea that like these people are are always like seeking a thrill and they don't want to be tied down or anything like that. And it's like, even if that is the case, Like, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I think that our country has kind of created this ideal of how a person is supposed to live their life and what the American tradition is. Um, And a lot of these people live outside of that. And I think that the movie presents that these circumstances are really bleak in a lot of cases, but also that a lot of these people find like, the greatest friends of their lives and find really beautiful connections and community with each other and really take care of each other and see gorgeous things in nature. And so I think it's kind of a... I don't think it has to be one way or the other way. I think uh, this movie is sort of presenting this reality and saying that there are really terrible, frightening things about it, but there are also really beautiful things about it. Um, I personally wasn't worried about her. I don't know if it was because I just hadn't heard that the movie was going to be, like, that something terrible, like, like, I feel like if she was going to die in the movie, I would have heard, like, this movie's really tough to watch. And I didn't really hear that. I heard, like, you know, it's beautiful and it's sad. sad. But it's not, like, you know, it's going to, like, traumatize you or something. Um... Yeah, I
5: didn't worry about her in terms of I didn't think she was going to die. I was just worried about her like mental health. Yeah.
3: Um I definitely see that, but I think I also I think as a character she she came off as very competent and sort of like yes. You know, de- definitely well, you can be depressed and competent. depressed for sure, but like very determined <laughs> to like take care of herself um and make sure that other people yeah. didn't have to worry about her. Um and like refusing help even when she could have used it uh but we see her learning new skills all the time and we see her you know being really capable of of everything she sets her mind to and so i just wasn't really i didn't ever think like she's gonna freeze or like she's gonna uh you know not be able to sustain herself any longer um i think like my experience of watching the movie was like emotional but it was not like anxiety producing for me but that was just my own personal experience of it Mm. but i will say i will add that my brother is actually about to embark on this very journey because he uh has bought a truck and a little camper that is attached to his truck that he just bought like a couple of weeks ago he's been planning this for a couple of years because and he sort of has found himself in this position where he's decided to do this because like a couple a couple years like maybe like five years ago at this point he lost his job at j crew where he worked because they laid off a ton of people um like at their corporate location and he tried a couple different jobs and like didn't ended up deciding he didn't really want to stay in that industry and sort of found himself in a situation where he couldn't really find his next thing that he wanted to do so i ended up moving in back in with my mom and has been working at rei the like camp store for a while and like while working there sort of realized that like because there are so many people there into the camping lifestyle and into this sort of thing that like that would be something he'd want to do and so for the last couple years he's been like saving up and everything and he's literally leaving like later this month to go move to nevada and live in his camper, <laughs> so it's kind of wow. like funny to have watched yeah, this movie. Men's
5: parents are doing that too.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, and i I think for him it's very much like a personal choice and something that he, it's it's not that he has to, but it is something that like circumstances have pushed him towards. You know. Mm-hmm. But I think like wa- om- watching this movie for me was almost like comforting thinking about his situation seeing that the way that these people like form communities with each other and take care of each other and stuff like that because he's kind of a loner you know and i think a lot of people who set off to do this are sort of loners um yeah but yeah i don't know i was approaching the whole thing with that in mind as it being like a very like close to my heart thing that is like about to happen in my life you know
5: yeah, I think for me, like, especially with the way that the country has been going since the pandemic with so many people losing their jobs and just like a lot of discussions about the way, you know, capitalism is failing people in this country right now. I mean, it always has. But like, especially right now, like when we actually like need the support of our mm-hmm. government to survive, Um, I think I've and viewing a lot of this from that lens, and especially because, I mean, there's a big part of the movie in the beginning where she's doing seasonal work for Amazon, and I just have a really hard time watching people working at Amazon and just thinking, like, this is supposed to be positive. Oh, yeah, that was
3: definitely, like, the very blatant, like, showing Amazon <laughs> itself, like, yeah. that was a statement. Like, that's a statement, whether – like you think it is or not, you know, like you can't have that name and not have some kind of implication. Right. Like, it's just a,
5: like these people are being exploited and they're like, not, you know, they're, yeah, that's what I immediately thought. Like, oh, she's doing that kind of work. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But I guess this is kind of just leaning into the next question that I had, which is just sort of, like, some issues that this s- story brought up for me. And, like, I'm hearing that it's bringing up things for other people. So I think, like, a lot of this is probably going to bring up different things depending on, like, how you're approaching the movie. But for me, like, the big things I thought about when I was watching it were grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something we haven't really talked about much yet, but – um we, one of, one of the things in that very quick summary, it says that she lost everything. One of the things Fern loses is her husband. Um, so um, she doesn't, she has family, like she has a sister. And at one point she goes to visit, but like, she doesn't have close family. She doesn't have a husband. She, they never had kids. Um, and so to me, a lot of what was happening in this movie, a lot of what I felt like I was watching was her grief Mm -hmm. and like this lifestyle kind of being conducive to um, not having to like move through that grief, but like being able to be like still in it because she's not like, it's sort of like not a next step. It's sort of just like, this is what I'm doing instead of like doing something else Mm -hmm. is how I was viewing it. And the reason that I say that is, and I'm I'm blanking on the guy's the character's name now because I uh, didn't write down Bob Wells, but David.
3: David, right? Uh, Her her kind of romantic interest who doesn't or Dave. Yeah. So the reason I I say that, the reason I say
5: that is like she's like so resistant to even, like, having a friendship with him. And I understand, like, what you're saying as far as, like, she just doesn't want to, like, rely on anybody. But I just kind of come back to the why behind that. Like, okay, that's fine. But, like, why? And for me, like, I was reading that as being, like, partially because of grief. Like, she's so resistant
3: mm-hmm. to moving. To him. On.
5: Even being, like, friendly to her, you know? Um, and that seemed, like, Not wanting to move forward, yeah, and wanting to like be in grief.
3: I definitely saw it as her feeling an attraction towards him and feeling his attraction towards her because she was able to create friendships with like Swanky and and
2: Linda Linda May. May
3: and some of these some women, but like this man who clearly is interested in her, and I think she has sort of reciprocal feelings, but she doesn't want to because she. Is very much set in, like, I am married. She says at one point, I am married, but my husband is dead. And she's not willing to move on um, yet or ever, maybe, from that relationship. Which is also a choice that some people make and is okay. Yeah. You know?
5: Yeah, it's definitely okay. And, like, I can see why some people, especially, like, if you've been married for that long, why you might just say, like, that person was my person and I had that. And like, I don't want to try to like recreate that now, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, if I was just reading grief
4: into anybody else. No, like, I don't think you were reading. I mean, she's, (laughs) she is grieving in all the ways y'all just described. And she's also grieving the loss of her town. Mm -hmm. Like her, Yes. town was unincorporated and everyone just moved elsewhere and it's just a ghost town now. And I mean, she it seems like in one fell swoop, she lost her husband, which would devastate anyone. She also lost her entire community. Like her, house, her, her job, her house, her job, her support system in a community was gone. So I mean, it makes sense to me that she chose to live this nomadic lifestyle and stay in that kind of stasis. Because what do you do after that? hmm Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's... I don't think you're reading into it at all. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, and also even more grief. <laughs> right.
2: Um, she has that conversation with... Um... A character whose name I don't know, the one who lost his son, Bob
3: Wells. Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
4: a that
2: real well, person. Yeah, yes. Sorry, yeah, Bob Wells. yeah. Is that Bob Wells' real story? I am I not sure,
4: so.
2: but yeah. I
5: mean, it's so- yeah. We're gonna talk about this later. I mean, okay,
2: all right. But it's yeah, good. well, a
5: lot of the stories are just like real things that happen to these people.
2: Okay. Well, I was only bringing it up to. Well, – will talk about their No, yeah, yeah. You're fine. That later, but just um. I mean, that's one of the only, like, really direct mentions of someone's grief and where it came from. And it's interesting that we're talking about it being, like, stasis, because it is, like, staying in it emotionally by never staying anywhere. And just, like, it's like nothing Mm -hmm. has time to settle in or something. Um, But it's also what's really interesting about her grief and losing all of those things is that they're all so – they're all so tied together. Like, her entire life was all in that one place. Like, her sister mentioned that she met her husband. They got married really early and then moved out there, like, away from everyone. And, like, when all of those things left, like, that was it. It's just – it's all one one and the same for her. Also, her sister's husband's a dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. For sure. But
5: I think, you know, he's sort of a stand-in for, like, the feelings that a lot of people have about exactly her, her choices, you know.
2: Well, yeah, um, and the way that he framed it to her is like, well, we're not all just in a position where we can get up and do this. As if he's not actually in, like, the best yeah, financial right.
3: position of anyone right. sitting there. <laughs> and again, as if she um, chose that, right. like, and was not prompted by anything happening in her life that would – lead her to that place well and know? that's that's how that's unfortunately how people talk about
2: homeless people mm-hmm. it's like i used to this is like sidebar i worked at a law firm at one point and one of the attorneys that worked there um you know obviously he's making good money he's an attorney well there we were near this park where um a lot of homeless uh, men especially would hang hang around and um Sometimes I would, like, take my lunch down there and, like, give them food or whatever. But I, I mentioned that one day and this attorney was, like, well, I mean, he he's choosing to do this. Like, this is, like, the lifestyle that he's chosen. And I'm, like, he's literally sitting in a thunderstorm right now. Like, I don't know
3: if we're talking about the same thing. I just yeah. don't know it was how just right. anyone could th- could actually seriously think that. Like He's like, well, why, why doesn't he just go get
2: a job? And I'm like, oh, like, like how you're like a third generation attorney.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, like, this is not the same thing. You didn't have the same. Like, explain to me, the same me how this person is going to go get a job. And the other thing is a lot of a of lot of unhoused people have jobs. Okay, like a yeah. lot of them have jobs and they cannot because they're making fucking $7.25 an hour. They can't afford rent. They can't afford to pay rent on – in addition to medical bills and any other kinds of – like, feeding themselves and all this other shit. It's like, how do you – I just don't understand – like, people are so stupid. It's like, can you just – literally like do the math like take the minimum yeah. wage and then like figure out how much your life costs and see if you could live with that amount of money because you fucking can't yeah yeah you can't exactly
2: and i just i remember being like i get that some people who are maybe like stupid think <laughs> this way but this is like well now there a are a lot of stupid people is though. in a profession that ostensibly is there to help people right get justice you know like it it blew my mind. Yeah. I said ostensibly, <laughs> ostensibly, allegedly. Yeah, like that's you know that's the the party line. You know, like this is what I'm doing, but like actually, like you you don't you don't care. Um. Yeah. And to act like well, I mean, hey, that's the choice that they made. Like this is you know that's the life they wanted to live. So good, good for them. I'm like, wow, I have to quit this job. Um. <laughs> I will say, it wasn't the attorney I worked for. My attorney was cool. (laughs) Different attorney. (laughs) In case they're all listening, which I'm sure they are. They're not. (laughs) (laughs) One time
4: someone who made ten times more money than me told me, well, you know the more money you make, the more expenses you have. And I was like, that's not true. (laughs) Is <laughs> that is That's not true. That is simply false. And I will say, and you can cut this part yep. out, that was my sister. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> is your sister
5: listening? It's, it's, in, it's incredible. It's incredible. Like, no, she's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's incredible. Yeah. I mean,
3: we, oh, we do man. make a ton of money off of this
2: podcast, so... It, yeah, we're all
3: wealthy we say. <laughs> yeah. No. Just should note that. Yeah. Wealthy, wealthy women.
2: Sorry, that was a big
3: sidebar, but I just we've made like, this is
2: what. We've made
5: like, what, $10 total off of this podcast so far? Yeah. Yeah, we have an
3: account for that $10. We have too. not made any <laughs> profit because all of the money has gone back into either uh, paying for the bank account to exist or. Paying, (laughs) like we get a check monthly fee for the bank account. Here's your monthly five dollar charge to be allowed to have a bank account, and I'm like, cool. Ten dollar check, five dollar charge. The other (laughs) five dollars can go into paying for the hosting platform. So don't worry, everyone. We have not made a single penny (laughs) for
5: ourselves. We have spent money. (laughs) um, Let us know though if you're listening and you think we should have a Patreon. What would what would you like us to put yeah, on a Patreon? I really want to okay. do that. I just we have to. It's gonna well, be a the, lot. Of we're not doing what would an the rewards be? I know
4: everyone wants us to, but it's not. What if we family? did an OnlyFans Sorry. and it was just me slowly taking clothes off of my cats? <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> on taking and there needs to be there needs to be a pay um, app that's like only cats. Oh yes,
4: only yeah. cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cat pictures. I will set up a video, twenty-four hour pet cat of cats. Yeah, of my cats. Yes. If anyone wants to watch that, we'll call it only cats. Yes. If that's what y'all want, let us know. Now that I'm thinking about it, you'd probably see me in there too a lot, and I don't want that.
2: <laughs>
5: just no me like, only
2: cats um,
5: <laughs> working. Oh, we said only cats. We're paying for only cats. Canceling Get my Get out of your house.
3: <laughs> I saw a human <laughs> foot in the frame.
5: <laughs> no, not it's not what I'm paying money for. I, Anyhow. Um, okay, so we kind of talked about the failing economy and how Amazon is Satan. If anyone wants to say anything else about how Amazon I is mean, Satan, I don't, feel
4: free. I don't you think the film that. is saying that Amazon is Satan.
2: I don't think it's not not. It's I, not I don't think not it's not saying <laughs>
3: I think the film is saying that Amazon is a place where people go to work out of desperation.
4: (laughs) Yes, it is saying that like Amazon is enabling this messed up way the economy works.
3: Yeah, and I think like all the people who
4: actually worked there seemed cool with it.
3: Yeah, I mean i I
5: think that in the way that you're cool with making money. If you can't get any other kind of job, right. they should be cool with it.
3: Like And they're not all just gonna like sit there and talk shit about Amazon like in the Amazon, you know, lunchroom or whatever.
4: Cause you um, know Amazon's
3: listening. Yeah. And like your they supervisor's are. probably right around the corner. Who knows? Uh,
2: yeah.
5: They mic your diapers before they put you in there. You know, they, they slap a diaper <laughs> on you and there's a mic on it. And they say, go. Yeah. Mic
2: your diapers this has got to be the title. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
5: um, I mean, I'm, that's the Amazon business model. Mic your diapers.
3: That's
5: true. <laughs> you heard it here.
3: Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> I think that this movie is pretty much – I think that it would be hard to watch this movie and not, like – think about how capitalism is destructive. Family. Yeah, and especially like <laughs> yeah. later you have some quotes here from people in the film like about how our syst- like yeah. you know, I think that the movie
5: I mean we can should we just talk about sure. that? I mean, I had a thing about here about old age and your own mortality or whatever, but we don't we don't have to go there. I mean, we can get back, can
3: back to that. Like, yeah, that's but nice. we can bring this up now since we're talking well, about Well, this all kind of goes
2: together because this is this this group yeah. of people specifically is many different groups are being failed by capitalism. This is one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because, and here's an example of it with the social security thing, so go ahead and read that and then we'll...
5: Okay. So I'll just go ahead and preface this by saying um, Nomadland is based on a book by Jessica Bruder that is nonfiction, um, And so sort of and, th- and we can get into this, but this was originally this movie was not going to be a mixture of documentary and fiction. But because of like cost, they just decided to go with that. And it kind of works with the fact that the book is nonfiction. But anyway, this this means that um, the film has a lot of non-actors in the cast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people in the cast are real life nomads who... Um, are telling their real story Um, and NPR did a piece on this we'll link to it where it talks more about like why it happened this way and how this worked. but um, I pulled one quote from the movie that I think is very telling um, and we've been referencing it and so let's just get to it Um, her name is Linda May and this is her real story she says Um, I was getting close to 62, and I went online to look at my social security benefit. It said $550. Fern, I had worked my whole life. I'd worked since I was 12 years old, raised two daughters. I couldn't believe it.
3: Yeah. So this really, again, hits very close to home for me because my mom is a person who has worked you know, as a housekeeper, mostly throughout her life and has had a couple of other jobs doing other things. But, you know, she didn't go to college. She has a high school education and but she's worked her whole life. She's worked very, very hard. And, you know, she raised my brother. She raised me and her social security benefit. My mom is uh, 72 and still working and has no like basically no savings to speak of um at all because like how do you save money when you are you know just trying to break even for your whole paycheck life to paycheck, and yeah. her social security check is I think now because it raises a little bit every year I think now it's like $600 so that's you know if my mom has some kind of you know right now like lucky for her, she's healthy, you know, and is able to continue working. But if something were to happen, like, if she falls or something and she can't work, she is supposed to survive on $600 a month. That's impossible. And that's the thing is, like, at some point,
5: something is going to happen to all of us. Exactly. You can't work forever. You can't (laughs) work forever. And, like, our country does not – protect us or care for us when that happens no
3: not at all not at all like if you if you didn't have a a a high-paying job that might have offered you a pension during your life you might as well not exist according to our government um and it's like really devastating because there are so many people and so many seniors specifically who find themselves in this situation and it's like you're fucked because you can't you can't go get a new job if you're too old to be able to work, but you might still have 10 right. years left to live, you know, like, or more. So what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Um. But I will also say that I think, I think Chloe Zhao's last movie too uh, incorporated like documentary and fiction styles together because um yes. that yeah. is also like a loosely fictionalized story about a person in like a different community but um and I was I read a little bit of one of of that article and um it mentions that like Frances McDormand optioned the rights to this book and then she saw um Chloe Zhao's last movie The Writer and was like this is the director that I want to work with um based Mm -hmm. on her style and approach um and I'd say it's a pretty good fit (laughs) It is, and it's
5: interesting – this is also in that article, and I mentioned it briefly, but, like, it's interesting that this movie was originally going to be scripted and have all actors in it because it just seems like this is a much more natural fit for the type of story that they're trying to tell. And, I mean, obviously, like, I wish that they had got the funding they wanted, mm-hmm. but it seems like it worked out maybe yeah. – for the best for this movie because like they had to change their vision based on like not getting the funding that they were expecting. And uh, this is what came from it. And I think it it just like I was saying, like it just feels like a natural fit to um, adapt a nonfiction book about this um, community and actually incorporate stories mm-hmm. from the community into the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, Even if it means they had to veer further away from the um, original book in terms of, like, actual content, Mm -hmm. I think probably – and again, like, I haven't read the book, so I I do my best to try to read as many books as possible, but, like, I did not read this book. Um, But I would assume that maybe what it loses in terms of, like, following the story of that book, it gains in terms of following the spirit of that book. yeah if you have read the book, maybe you can write in and let us know, but that would just be my assumption based on what I've read about the book and what I've read about, I don't know, the filmmaking process for this. So.
3: Yeah. And I, I was really impressed by uh, how seamlessly these things seem to blend together because like Frances McDormand is a person we all know mm-hmm. and I'm used to yeah. her face. Like I'm used to seeing her and like like, highly produced movies. And, but it was so... She's, like, a very naturalistic actress and just sort of, like, slips into this role so easily. And it really seems like she has relationships with these people in the movie, and it all feels very natural. Yeah. And I know that they did a lot of research and, and went and, like, visited these communities and spent a lot of time with these people figuring out their stories in order to tell them, you know, uh, well. So... I was really impressed yeah. by how, uh, I don't know, how much grace they give to every person that is on screen, you know? And very surprisingly, the next project that
5: oh, yeah. Chloe Zhao will be working on is a Marvel yeah. movie. So the that should be interesting.
2: Also, a blend of documentary yeah. and reply. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, they're going to get some real-life superheroes in there, mix them in, um, tell their real story. Yeah, I'm just going sure to follow
4: Kumail Nanjani on his fitness journey. <laughs> yeah. I. Um, but yeah, that should be interesting. The whole time <laughs> we were watching this, so I watched this movie with Todd, and a fun fact about him is he's basically IMDb inside a human form. Like, he just has a really good knack for remembering faces and names and so we were watching this and he was like none of these people are actors i've never seen any of them (laughs) and i suspected it i just it has like a really natural feel
2: i guess like it does well linda may does she's good um there's a couple moments though where i could kind of and i didn't know this for sure i just assumed it Because it felt... uh, But also, they're acting opposite Francis McDormand. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) that's gotta be... It
5: it never occurred to me. Like, I never really thought about it. I mean, I was also really
2: interested, and this
4: is something Todd brought up, but, like, the actor playing Dave, his name is just David. And (laughs) his son, who is in the band Dawes, (laughs) plays his son in the movie oh wow and Frances McDormand is Fern Fern sounds like it could kind of be a nickname for Frances and when she is going to stay in the camper park when she's working at Amazon she says look under MCD oh yeah that's so interesting (laughs) that's funny I don't know. It was just, and I don't know that I have anything profound to say about that. It just made it feel like even more natural to me. Like it did blur the line between documentary and film, I guess. Fiction. Yeah. I don't know. It was interesting. I wanted to give Bob Wells a hug.
3: Yeah. I wanted to give everybody a hug except for certain assholes. The brother-in-law. Yeah. When he even, you know,
4: being in a much different position than Fern is, when he was like, we know some people like to have a house, some people believe in investing in things, I was like, with
1: what money?
4: Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> You know, like even I you know, I am not living a nomadic lifestyle, but I couldn't just be like, oh, I think I'm wanna buy a house.
3: Yeah. Um personally owning a house is not something that I see in my future ever happening. Yeah, same. So
5: But you know, like and we we were talking about how like um we're kind of given this blueprint of like how our lives are supposed to go. I've definitely like at points in my life felt like am I going to be a failure if I don't buy a house like that is a worry that I've had because I've been fed that that's like part of
2: the journey my entire
5: life is like at some point you buy a house but I'm like
2: why would I but why would I buy a house look at everyone who bought a house in you know circa 2008 buying a house can break you also yeah buying a house can be the thing that makes you houseless it's actually like Um, not a good investment
4: (laughs) for the most part I mean, it could be if you're like really planning to stay somewhere long term. It is yeah, a it is a not. good investment, you know. Like I think I'm not I'm not shitting on house buying.
2: <laughs> like yeah. I would like to buy a house someday, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Mary, like, listen, it, it you is, shit on my engagement ring a couple weeks ago. Please no, shit on my house too. We
3: <laughs> <laughs> you your house, Susan. Truly, I
2: had so many thoughts about it later. I was like. She's gonna be mad
4: now because
5: I
2: said it. Oh my thing. god! I swear, I didn't think of it until just this moment, just now. I, mean, like, I promise. She's been
3: holding on to it, just but waiting my- to pull it back out. Yeah,
2: like when can I bring it up again? I'm sure I'll find a reason because she'll just shit on something else. <laughs>
3: I'm the one shitting on houses here. Let's Mary, I swear,
2: straight. I did not think of my it thing whatsoever is- until just now.
4: I like. I would like to buy a house someday. <laughs> But the thing is, is like you it's not as easy as just being like, "I think I want to buy a house like that is not an option open to everyone. It is not like a simple it's- thing to do and to look at someone who's been living in their van
2: <laughs> and just be like, Well, so here's the thing, yeah, it's not easy to do, but what's fucked up is that like some places will give really predatory loans to people Mm -hmm. who are never going to be able to actually sustain this. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. super fucked. Um, Yep. Going back to the, uh, like, you know, this is how your life is supposed to look at, at this age or this age. That's why it's so interesting to me that it's this particular age group, because especially when you are, you know, a person who's like close to retirement age, you're definitely, you definitely have this – you have the sister's husband's mentality of, like, this is what your life is supposed to look like. You're supposed to have invested your money. You're set up to retire. You have your house. You have your your family or whatever. And, like, if if you don't have those things by then or if you have them and then they're taken away, you're more fucked than a person who lost it at 30 hmm But I even, like, think about we're, we're all – well, not all. Kelly, how old are you? 29?
3: I'm 29.
2: Okay. I was about to say oh, we're baby. all in our 30s.
3: Sorry. I didn't mean we to age you up. but God. Don't make me old. <laughs> we
2: all probably tick the same box. It's, like, 29 to
3: Yeah, I'll 30 be thirty 39. <laughs> it's coming around the bend. Um, <laughs> but even for us, there are those things, like,
2: buying houses, being married, having kids, all of that. But by the time you're – In your 60s, a lot of the what life is supposed to look like has to do with money, Mm -hmm. specifically. Like, having save for retirement on your own plus whatever your great job has given you. And (laughs) that's just not real for most people. Yeah. At all.
3: Like, to be able to save for retirement, even when you're putting, like, money into a 401k and your company is matching it. It's like, there's only so much I can put in before I can't pay my rent. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, it's just not, I don't know. The, the landscape is so much different for people now than it was, you know, back when you could buy a house for $10 or whatever the fuck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever boomers did. Yeah. (laughs) When they bought their houses. Um, yeah. And like, really as a, um, I'm 33. I I didn't start working for real until after grad school, round two. Some of you are familiar with this story mm-hmm. yourselves, probably. I felt like other people I was working with then had been, like, saving for retirement for years. And, like, had already, like, done all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's going to, like, be a minute before I can even – think about saving anything yeah like, <laughs> much less
3: for retirement just like having a savings account right. that has any money and more. not to mention like the yeah. fact that so many people are saddled by enormous student loan debt like which is not even something that we that's really talked about in this movie but is a huge serious issue for people in this country facing you know futures where they haven't been able to save any money because they're too busy paying off the thing that they did to be able to get a job to be able to survive
2: oh when we're all 60 that's going to be like when our age group is that age group that's going to be the thing is that everyone is still paying that debt yeah and no one is ready mm-hmm.
3: to retire financially yeah i mean and hopefully no, we've tumbled capitalism not going to <laughs> at that point so
5: all right Sigh. well we can talk about how fucked up Finances are in America all night, but we don't have the time. Just the short convo. I'm I'm like here. (laughs) Just ask. Um. Any any final thoughts about this movie? Um.
3: Before we move along, guess what? I'm going to talk again since I love to do that so much. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I just uh, probably the thing that I liked the most about this movie was the idea of of. Never being in one place and how that, like, translates throughout every part of the film, like, and sort of goes back into nature. And there's a part where they're talking about stars and how, like, the stars that have, like, fallen or whatever. And every person has a little bit of star inside them. And he's like, hold out your hand and look at that. You're looking at a star. And it's, like, so sweet. And... uh, as as bleak as this film is in a lot of ways, it's also, like, incredible to look at. So incredibly The beautiful. cinematography is gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. And also mm. it just reminds you that there's, like, this country is, like, there is such an expanse of gorgeous landscapes and so many different types of landscapes all throughout this country. And that's, like, something really special that that we do have here of all the things that I hate about America, like the beauty of it is certainly not one of those because it's, it's incredible. Like, and I think that like the way that this movie is able to show those landscapes and how like these people just like sort of the juxtaposition of these people who are struggling and then like the beauty of, of nature and like the, resilience of people in these situations and sort of echoing the resilience of of like the earth in the way that america is a fucking shit show but it's still you know there's still beautiful mountains and the sunset is still beautiful and like i don't know i just thought i'm not like articulating it very well but like emotionally it definitely hit me in a place where i felt like sort of I don't know, like, a weird gratefulness, I guess, mm-hmm. for, yeah. like, what life has to potentially offer, even if we aren't able to always grasp it, you know? Yeah. That w-
2: that was actually well articulated. You just said it wasn't, but you're lying. Mm. It was. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and I think that that's um, – Watching this in the time that we are currently living in where, like, it feels like the country itself has failed a lot of people. hmm Like, that was more pronounced to me than it probably would have been not in a pandemic and all of this. However, like, I think it made that hopefulness a little more profound as well. Yeah. Because it was coming from, like, almost a more bleak place. Yeah. <laughs> um And this isn't articulated well. Either. I'm just thinking it out loud.
3: Sounded I watched this this morning. good
2: to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Like,
3: I woke up first um, thing in the
2: morning and watched this movie. And I was like, what a way to start my day.
3: I feel like it is a...
2: Right? It's a so much to think about film. all day. Yeah. yeah I, all day I had thoughts.
5: If you... Want to watch no Man Land, It is available on Hulu, Hulu right now. Yay! So you don't have to pay twenty twenty dollars for it. And you should watch it because
3: for Hulu. you should watch it. If history has any indication, maybe this will win Best Picture at the Oscars. It might could. It might could. Just and maybe Chloe Zhao will win Best Director. I really hope she does. That would be cool. That would be fucking cool.
2: Yeah. My parents are watching this movie right now
3: as we record.
2: Whoa! My mom hey. texted me for the Hulu login earlier because she wanted to watch it.
3: <laughs> I texted my brother oh, and told him. To to like, watch, I saw like, it obviously. hours ago. <laughs> yeah.
5: Okay. So moving on to this interview, yeah, that I'm very excited to share with you guys. Um, <clears throat> so this is Nicole Glover's, um debut that was the word i was looking for (laughs) debut novel the conductors um i'll just read the intro to the book and then i'll give you a couple of quick thoughts about it that it will be spoiler free and then we'll get to the interview does that sound like a Mm plan, to everybody yes go okay so the conductors by nicole glover um as a conductor on the underground Railroad, Hetty Rhodes helped usher dozens of people north with her wits and magic. That's right, you heard me magic. Mm-hmm. Now that the Civil War is over, Hetty and her husband Benji have settled in Philadelphia solving murders and mysteries that the white authorities won't touch. When they find one of their friends slain in an alley, Hetty and Benji bury the body and set off to find answers. But the secrets and intricate lies of the elites of Black Philadelphia only serve to dredge up more questions. To solve this mystery, they will have to face ugly truths all around them, including the ones about each other. This sounds dope. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. I think... You know, for our listeners, if you read along when we read Tanahasi nehisi The Water Dancer, um, this kind of gave me Water Dancer vibes a little bit just in that it is about the Underground Railroad and it's magical. But this happens after, as as the description states, this happens after the Underground Railroad. And these are people who um, were conductors for the Underground Railroad and have now moved on to try to help black people in other ways um it's real. the magic system is really interesting this is a world where like everybody can use magic but um magic for different cultures is different and so like white people magic is kind of seen as like you know quote unquote better than <laughs> the magic that black people use which is like kind of like white culture and black culture and you know there are lots of parallels you can make which are interesting and I like that it's a mystery because I love mystery novels so I really appreciated that about it and what's really cool is this is the first book in a series um but it definitely worked as a standalone like the mystery is solved at the end it's wrapped up very nicely I don't feel like I have to read the next one every single book in the series um is going to be about a different mystery that they're solving. Um, love that it's a husband and wife duo. So cute. They're really fun to read about. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I talk more about my thoughts about it in the interview. So I'll let you guys just listen to that. Yay. Now. So yeah. Yeah. So I know this is your first novel. Yes. Um, how has that been? I know um, I know that the pandemic's been going on for a little while now. And when I was doing interviews towards the beginning of the pandemic, it was more like, oh, how are you, you know, promoting a um, book during a pandemic? But now we're kind of like used to it at this point. But how has that been um, promoting this book and getting ready for the release of this book, knowing that? You know things are not as they
1: normally are in the book industry. Let me just say it's interesting. My, my 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 when I when the pandemic first hit, my book was scheduled for the fall. It was actually uh, November third, right of mm-hmm. last year, and so I was. You know, so I had so I had enough. It was a it was late enough the year that it wasn't immediately impacted, but I got pushed because of the scheduling issues. I guess there was a paper shortage. I had heard from. That was going on, and all this other fun stuff that ended up making it. And then basically, my publisher was looking at the schedule and it was just better to to push it into into the new year. So I was I, I wasn't too I was happy to get a, a new date to be really to be honest. Right. <laughs> because, yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's just that even if I even though I would would have liked it out earlier, but I, I, I I'm good with it. Getting pushed back is to have more time for I guess for the book itself to be on its own, so it wouldn't be like surrounded by. Like everything else going on, but right. it I mean, on the on the fun side of it, I got to have more time playing around with marketing stuff, thinking more deeply about it, and it gave Green Room too. I also have a follow up that we that goes along with this book, and basically it shortened the time time between those two books. So yeah, I
5: was just I got excited because I, <laughs> as you were talking, I was thinking about that because I was like, I saw that um, the Undertakers is the name of the second one, right? Um yeah. I saw that that's coming out later this year. Mm. It's planned for at least for right if now if everything it's, goes it's, according to schedule, you know who knows, but you know I was like, oh, she's already, you know, she's got the next one ready. Like that's that's and, but you know, now that you said um mm. this one was pushed back that makes a little bit more sense. Mm. But it's still impressive because to me I'm like,
1: oh, a book takes forever to write. <laughs> it does and this one cuz literally got I literally just finished up like the the final, I guess the final, more final draft of the second book. Yeah, literally like last week, and that one went through and really excited. I actually, tur- it's funny, funny story. Is I turned in a, a draft of the book to before the pandemic really hit, then got it back after that. So I had like, it's interesting to go back and like, be in different mindsets a bit. I mean, all my books always change through draft versions, but this one was different because it was the first book I had on contract, so it's more of instead of being like my first book being more of my leisurely exploring tinkering here and there over the several years, second book was more tighter and under tighter things going on in the world too. So,
5: yeah, sometimes, you know, um, it's easier to write and under those circumstances, I mm. think like when you know that you, that you have to do it and people are kind of like counting on you to finish. But, um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, about the fact, and I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but this, This book is like a lot of things at once, not in a bad way, but um, it it is what made me really interested in reading it because it's historical, it's fantasy, it's mystery, um, which are all genres I'm really interested in. And um, the name of the series is Murder and Magic. Um, That to me is really intriguing. And I was just wondering, um, as a writer, as a reader, is there any of these genres that you feel particularly connected to you or do you read in all these genres pretty regularly or were there any that you felt like oh if i'm going to write historical fiction or fantasy um i need to read more in the genre because i'm not as familiar with it as mystery
1: i'm i'm a able to read everything i read a lot of different genres all the time and you could look if you ever look at my library holds at the moment i have i don't really cross genres so i always write a healthy amount of Mysteries, helping on historical fiction, helping on the historical mysteries and loads and loads of fantasy and a bunch of historical fantasies that's been popping up in my interest more or less. So yeah. it was so when I was putting the book together, it it was kind of natural because I always kind of I have familiarity with the other different together, And mm-hmm. and that's actually that's that's mostly the genesis of the book itself. It was me. Taking things I like and mixing them together. Like it was, the, the book originally, its first formed was straight historical fiction. And I wasn't really going anywhere with it until I think I was walking around one day like, what if I add magic to it? And it, it started to really come together and the mystery element just kind of fell into place. Mm-hmm. And so, it just, yeah, it just all kind of came together. I think adding the fantasy element to the history side made it more fun, more easy for me to explore in writing the historical time period. Cause I, I did a lot of historical research for, to get, to make sure I got like the right tone, making sure I'm like in the the vein of like the historical facts and having a little fantasy element to magic in it (laughs) made it easier for me to, I guess, translate certain things and also allowed me to play more with metaphors with -hmm. the magic itself. I think different, different points of magic is a metaphor for different things, different like rights, whether it's like, uh, reading, like literacy. Right. literacy I think of I think one point made some allusions with it. gun rights. I think there's a thing as I mentioned in the book of uh, rules against using wands to certain groups of people and that was based off of gun laws that came out in that in the reconstructionary time period. And so it a lot of me it allowed me to have more I guess more freedom to work with different things. And, and I mean to have some fun with it. I didn't get a core with me playing with fantasy, playing with the mystery elements of it that I always enjoyed. It's
5: it's interesting that you say that you started from Historical fiction, and then decided to um, move the story in a more fantasy direction, and the, the mystery kind of came just naturally. Because mm-hmm. when when I, when I read the story, every everything in the story felt like it was very naturally connected. So you know, even you're saying that this it just was historical fiction first, but reading it, it doesn't um, it doesn't read that way. It reads like all of this. It's it's supposed to. It together and like you, you don't really have a story without the mystery. You don't really have the story without okay. the fantasy. So I think that's working really well. But I want to talk about the magic system because um, it's really creative and unlike anything else I've read. <laughs> and I know that you've said that you're very interested in astronomy. And I read your bio has a, a reference to astrology in it. Um, and I'm a big fan of astrology. I think like we're all on the podcast are like really into astrology. Um, and so I'm just curious about um, your interest in astronomy, astrology, and how much research went into that part versus how much did you know already going in,
1: and why you decided to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I always, I guess I, at some point I got really interested in astrology. In, I guess middle school, and I guess so I you know I did all the the research until I figured. I, I'm not like hard. I don't know like I can't tell you the all the different things, but like Venus and Mars, almost the, the cosines and like the chart and stuff like that. But I you know I got big, big into the core sun signs, the moon signs, a bunch of stuff, and seeing all the the references and stuff. I think a lot. I always kind of built my characters around astrology signs for some reason. I had, I guess it's an easier way for me to get like t- parasites. And yeah. I mean, I've always it really interested me, and I always kind of even like now I like when I sign someone's hear someone's birthday, like if a co or a friend, and I'm like. And I, I figure out the birthday, and like, oh, that's fine, perfectly match. I, I like it always seemed clicked together. And I mean, at the time, I always carried around. I always like astronomy, as you know, the stars and whatnot. I think at one point I, I toiled with going to, toyed with being like a, going to NASA, being an astronaut and whatnot. I know it's never that really happened, never really happened. But I always really liked, it. I guess, the space and aesthetics. I kind of blame it on my session with Sailor Moon back in the day.
0: I, yeah, I also still, love the
1: Moon. <laughs> yeah, I can't say not back. It's still currently. It's like my number one thing. I always go back to. So all that kind of this, all those things kind of inspired me. The things I really loved, and when I went to decide when would make for a magic system. I wanted. To, I knew I wanted to, going in to have a unique system that was different. And I was thinking like, what could I do with it? And I was, I was like, I was researching different like magic types out in the world, like magic systems and like real world stuff and. Oh, I came across like a sigil stuff, and I was like drawings and like you know constellations. Kind of just clicked into place, and I had that in there. I think I started playing with the idea of you know constellations coming to life, and the idea that that the constellations could be like basically what the characters imagined They took form. Like everyone could do the same. Like for example, like the, the like a Canis Minor, like a little dog. Like be different little dogs based on their their imagination, basically. And it's kind of playing with the idea of a system that, that was kind of, kind of created, kind of flexible. Like this is a system that you could, I think I have one character basically uses like different kinds of different, like this fight a certain spell, certain spells. Other people would be like, it's more rigid. And, and then it's kind of designed by nature, this particular system be fluid and less, and be the contrast of what it's like a more, a more rigid structure, like a structured sorcery that's like the big contrast for that mm-hmm. which is like in my, my world kind of sorcery is kind of like the the typical wand waving kind of enchantment that we're kind of used to and you and those are the smaller parts of my bigger worldview of the world's magic was that everyone has the capacity to do magic and different cultures different nations different groups have different brands where this magic takes form and i don't i don't i don't i don't come out and say it and the book and in the world itself that's all these different types, but it's, I, try, I want to try to get an understanding that there is different types of magic out there, even though I'm not going to name like all the different types, but I like, cause always like the idea that a fantasy world where everyone has magic. So I, always, yeah. I guess I always see like a bunch of fantasy books where it's always like one small group or it's limited to a couple of people. And, you know, I was like, you know, what is everyone has abilities? Like it's a skill. It's like something that's the same as like reading or like, you know, just people in art and something that's different is mostly whether you have access Where we have time and where we practice.
5: Right, that makes sense. Um, And you know, like you're saying it, when you were talking about that, it made me think of it. Like you were saying, like art, like everybody, every culture has its own art, and it just sort of depends on a lot of different cultural influences, like how the direction that art goes in. Um, I know there's probably some of this you can't say, but. I know that you you have other books planned. Do you think there's um, there are going to be other magic systems that get explored in other
1: books at all? Yeah, I would try to. It's more, the thing with more books is you get to explore more pieces of the world. Like I always try to, for the first one, try to set this, the foundations of things. And next one, I would potentially hope to expand more. I think in the, in this, the second book that I finished up, I, I did a, a tease a little bit more out in the world. And something I would... And pos- pos- possible, hopefully, impossible features. to solve it think I would keep expanding it more and more. Because I have, a lot, I guess, you know, I think with world building stuff, you always have to, all, all these ideas that you can't put in the book itself, or you write down. You just quit, you can't wait to like play with it, like a tool, like a toy in a toy box, basically.
5: Right. But, it sounds to me like, um, well, the world building part is obviously very exciting. But it sounds mm-hmm. to me like one of the more exciting parts about writing this book for you and correct me if I'm wrong, but just the way you're talking about it, it sounds like the research was very exciting. As far as the research for this book, because I know there were lots of different things you had to research, how much did you research because you kind of knew what direction you wanted to go in and you wanted to find out more
1: about it, and how much of the story was informed by what you learned from the research? I to say, I think I started out knowing the time period I wanted to narrow it down to, the location I wanted to narrow it down to, and some character types I kind of wanted to kind of build into a backstory. And I started from there. And the more I did research, the more things I found. And it kind of it became like a branch system. Like I would research like one thing in particular like a like a one and it just I guess because like I found you can't really when you're doing your historical stuff, you can't really do one point in time. You have to look at a range of time, basically. I think I ended up as far back historically as the early eighteen hundreds. Even though the book set in 1871, I had to go back at least 70 years. It get a rough sense of, like, it was everything else, all those little things that come and kind of form that current time period. And then I started looking at, I think, I was, and through that course, of research, I found, like, you know, interesting people that are contemporaries that lived in Philadelphia at that time that were, or did things, or other characters, maybe not out in Philadelphia itself, but or interact in and around that time period that were interesting follow up to. Cause I think I just found like, it a lot of interesting, like people you don't hear about in the history of like a uh, sculptors, writers, journalists, all, and soldiers and all those other different interesting people that I just kind of just followed up into. I think I also looked into my, I mean, some into my interests of like, more sciencey stuff. I was like, of like a character through or scientists or adventurers. I looked up their information in there. And then, oh, I just, yeah, I just, it's just, it was, it's honestly, the research always keeps continuing. I think, throughout the process of, of drafting it, writing revision over this course of years, I just kept, you know, those my eye out on research stuff. I always have like a few books I'd pull out from the, the library or stuff i come across on the internet. And just to, to, give my, I guess the, to give myself a good foundation. I mean, a lot of that stuff isn't, didn't all get into the book. But this I think it's, for, to, to go with the other question, it kind of informed it. It kind of gave me a, a firmer sense of, what the world's about, what these kind of characters were like, uh, some tidbits, some different, some background of other real-life people kind of inspired some of the characters in the book, but weren't they aren't like one-to-one uh, comparison. Like I took pieces that were interesting, like some I learned about an artist that it was in Philadelphia, maybe a couple of years after where the book had set in, but I used that to kind of infuse into one of the characters, for example. Or like how well, my main character Hetty is a dressmaker. That was inspired by a dressmaker, uh, Elizabeth Heckley, I believe I believe who was who sewed so dresses for both the uh, Mrs. Lincoln and Mrs. Davis during basically before and after the Civil War. And just little things like that kind of got in got in the book that just was just interesting and like just tidbits. that like I walked my way through and just kind of played around with.
5: I know this is. We're, we're talking at the beginning of Black History Month, even though this interview isn't going to come out until the beginning of March. Um, so I feel like maybe it would be appropriate to give a little nod to Black History and say, like, was there any person in particular? Because I know, like, you've spoken in other interviews about how a lot of Black history, especially from this time period, is um, completely forgotten or not really talked about that much. Was there any person in particular that you read about that was, um, someone you think people should know more about, someone who didn't make it in the book or or a, a little tidbit of information that didn't make it in the book that you'd want
1: to share? I'm trying to think of like... I know that's so a big question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's <laughs> like so many people I came across <laughs> that were so really interesting. Um, uh, let me think. Uh, of one, one particular person, I a mean, I'm trying to get the name right I think it's Francis E. w. Harper, who was a lots of different things an educator, a poet, a feminist a, a vote person who was trying to get the right to vote and basically a woman who, who butted heads with lots of people she went to she tried to she butted heads with white uh, suffotes she, she butted against her own the black men of different social groups. And in and around Philadelphia, were basically trying to kick her out because she's a woman. And yeah, she was. I think she, it was all of those. It was she was a very prominent person in Philadelphia. I think I trapped her at first, but I saw that she was a poet, and I was. I thought that was that was interesting. But then I tried researching all the other stuff she did. Like it was kind of fascinating. I think I came across like a. Yeah, I think because I think it was interesting because there's a lot of there are lots of writers that time period, I kind of get lost. I and mean, you only kind of remember like, cause you like, you, you might, you might know Phyllis Wheatley, for example, who's like way back in the, the 1700s, but you don't really know, you don't really know really many other female, uh, black female writers other than like, I Wells, who well to mostly, she did more journalists instead mm-hmm. of more journalism, instead of a, a fiction writer. She did write some fiction writing on, under a pen name, I, I believe. I have to check. I can't remember that. I'm mixing stuff up, but, but yeah, there's it's like lots of like little things like that. Like a, there's other, I know I remember across the vein of other of female writers, there was like some people did that, like a little social circles group that they had like a like kind of like not like a, like a book club but like a little literary group that they kind of got together like monthly. Few of them, most I think it was in it wasn't, I remember it being filled up because I, I was one of the books I was I write was centric around that. But yeah, they kind of grew, they kind of meet together regularly, and talk about interest. Interesting topic of the day, whether it's books, poems, um, science, uh, I think math. But I've always thought, I've always thought it's like, like kind of fascinating, like stuff that more gives you more day to day life. So I think, I think, was, I think, I guess in most, it's not just black history in general, but like in history overall, kind of always these like big deal things and you don't really see all the smaller things in life. So I spent a lot of time looking at, uh, more domestic, like domestic, goes. Uh, more like interiorized things that were interesting to me. Kind of fill like kind of to bridge out, fill out a world, book.
5: Right, and it kind of gives you a sense of what your characters would actually be doing day to
1: day because it's mm-hmm. not just it's not just about politics or. Mm. Yeah, because um, a lot of this, yeah, cause I even though there was like one thing I didn't really make the book was politics in general because there was a lot of politics that were going on. In that particular year, in in and around it. And I just, I just because it, it wasn't important to the characters other than, like, other, some some side mentions, but nothing directly to the plot. So it's like, I kind of just, all these little political things going on, I just didn't really make it in there.
5: Well, you know, they, you had some, um, th- th- some magic politics, which yeah. we talked about a little bit already, but
1: um, But it's actually, it's more interesting to me to kind of work with, because it, from, from the metaphor side, so things that, just, things that more, I think it's more things that, that it's, just, it's more, it's more like centric to the, the book itself. I don't have to, plus I don't have to worry about how much I share the historical facts. Because one of the things I was, I went back and forth when I was writing it, how much to stay true to history and how much do I go to alternate history or just do it, just do it history with a magic twist. And I think trying to find that right right balance is a thing I kind of had to settle on pretty early on in the book.
5: Um, so we we're talking about characters. I'm mm-hmm. going to try to make this a, a bridge to a new question. Um, but um, I think for me, one of the best things about this book was um, Hetty and Benji's relationship, um, because I just I really appreciate reading relationships between men and women, um, especially you know historical historically based things, things that aren't set in contemporary mm-hmm. worlds. Um, where men and women treat one another as equals rather than there being some sort of like strange like power hierarchy especially Mm -hmm. in marriages um often it seems like Hetty knows better than Benji Mm -hmm. um and this is going to sound weird maybe not but um I often felt like Hetty and Benji were talking to each other as if they were siblings which I think you're really comfortable with someone, that's how you talk to them a little bit. I don't know, like it felt like a very lived-in relationship. Like they felt very um, natural and comfortable together, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. We don't always get that. Um, so I'm just curious about how you develop their relationship and their characters since they're the t-
1: main characters
4: of the story. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they are characters that are kind of there from the beginning. I From the first like idea of the story, I always had ideas even though names were different at the time, they were, they were always kind of there as partners. And I think I kind of went with the idea that they were partners for, like, from when they were conductors on the Underground Railroad to mystery solving and basically friends, really good friends, partners, really close for a very long time, which I think kind of contributes to the lived-in thing. So I always, you know, I always like the tropes of, like, you know, best friends, lovers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I always like the idea of, like, just being really comfortable with each other just because the, they... Yeah, they're friends. They'd see each other as part of a family because they both lost, had lots of losses in their life. So they kind of came together and working together through all these different stuff made them close that's different than uh, the other friends. And, but I also like the idea of playing with the, because uh, I, I also, another joke I also like is the marriage convenience stroke, whereas that they got together, I mean, at least, at least in sense, they got married because of, you know, social mores and whatnot. Really. Or trying to be more acceptable to the, the social classes that they're involved in in their community, and also there's another you know, the jokes of like a they can't go around following mysteries together without like a, annoying like the proper ladies of their of their social circle. So it's just you know, it's like the, I, the idea of them just getting to to the idea that they originally formalized the relationships because of those reasons, and but maybe that's not maybe that's not the entire story basically, and part of I think I think one of the things I did with the dealt with the book was that I like with the the death of their friend is the idea that this is a big event like, that that off a bunch of things within their lives from their friends' circle, circle, the community and their own personal life. Because it's like the first major death that kinda affects him like this in a while. And so I like the idea that that kind of that it gives them the opportunity to explore their relationship in a different way that they maybe haven't, haven't really had a chance to think about in a while because they've gotten comfortable in these past years they've been together. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it also was kind of, it was kind of fun building a, I do like the romance, even though I'm not a, rom- a romance writer, I do, I do love a good romantic subplot. So that was, it was kind of fun to do that, and play off of things I like to read romantically wise. yeah.
5: I I really enjoyed that about this book. And I I, I will go ahead and tell you, as soon as I finished this book, I went ahead and put The Undertakers on my um, to-read list on Goodreads. (laughs) So I'm excited about it. Um, I'm always really fascinated, speaking of The Undertakers, um, I'm always really fascinated by the planning that goes into writing a series Mm -hmm. because um, that to me is just like, seems like a lot of work <laughs> um how many books do you have planned for the series i know you said that originally this was just going to be the one story and then it became a series um and then have you have you written
1: anything um beyond the second book at this point i have a couple things on I a couple ideas i want on deck i, I want to pursue thing it's Really, right now, I'm only on contract. Contracted for the first two at the moment. There's hope for getting more, but well, it's mostly have to see how things pan out when, with the book comes out. But I do, I do have, I have ideas for more things. I think that's one of the beauty, beauty of having a mystery series that it's always a new mystery adventure. You've got to build a new mystery, so it's lots of. It makes it easy to come up with different ideas. And actually, you know, I have had a bunch of things that got cut because when I wrote the second book, a lot of the things. That was in the first book. I ended up cutting to give space and room to, to to better make things kind of flourish in the first book. So that a lot of that cut stuff went to the second book. And so, in the same sense of other for a potential future book, I have a bunch of ideas that I would like to pursue to kind of mess around with because dealing with more like mystery tropes and just lots of lots of fun stuff because there's lots of lots of interesting things going on in this time period and, and within the Philadelphia itself. I want to get get into, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have plenty of ideas and like other stuff too, like uh uh 'cause I 'cause I didn't I I basically did I did a gamut of like uh black history research and lots of different time periods also intrigued me too, whether I could set that either in this world or just do a separate kind of mystery itself not that, that's something I wanna get, get wanna get into. It's just not enough hours in a day to write everything. well you
5: know you said you're interested in science so maybe eventually they start time traveling or
1: something (laughs) yeah (laughs) they
5: can hit all the periods right um well thank you so much for speaking with me today um i'm i really enjoyed the book i'm excited to share it with listeners and i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and i'm so excited for
1: you to finally get your first book out because i know you've been waiting for a few months now <laughs> oh yeah it seems like forever it's, it's i don't know because i think i'm particularly lax on this thing like the stretch on forever and you know? oh, i bet i bet that's <laughs> so like is it, actually it's actually surreal now but it's finally the one month i guess like about one month to go or so just like i don't know, and terrifying at the same time but i guess you know it's it a i've been been. you know I'm a, I'm trying to avoid all the reviews and whatnot because I don't know. You don't need. To, I guess most of the time, I was also writing a second book. I don't. I really need that. Need that hovering over me too much. But right, you didn't want was, other people's thoughts
5: about the series or whatever getting in your head while you're trying to.
1: Yeah. I think. Of- I think also too because it's also the and this is mostly just the arc style at the moment. So it's not like the final version. I'm. Mean, I'm always weird about the. I guess. It, I guess it's kind of me more about the final polished project that a uh, final final polished product. You know, and it's just. I don't know. It's, it's, all those different things. I think this, I don't know. I guess it's, I think it's nervous as anything. It's giving out, letting people see more of your things. And it's like, and it is also book kind of special to me because it's a, it's a mix of things I love. And it's also a book that I really, you know, I didn't, I actually always thought it was, I was always kind of always joking. It's my little, my weird little book. That I never thought would anyone want to buy it basically or get published because it's like lots of things that, I don't know. I guess it's a, it's, it's i always said it's quite difficult with all between all the genre mixing and whatnot. And it's also the kind of first book I kinda of just became like I guess I myself to think they're interesting because I tried I wrote other because it's like it's not like this is not my story, it's like I wrote other books in the past, but this is the kind of first time it's ever really like said something to me. I kinda of kept going back to it over the years of in the process of, of querying and trying to get it published. So
0: Yeah. That's a little
1: special, it's nice. And exciting. Aww. That's so great. I'm, I'm really, I'm really,
5: really excited for you and I, I wish you the best of luck. It was so nice to get to talk to you.
1: Yeah, it's nice to talk to you too.
5: Um, And I actually also want to mention um, the second novel in this series is called The Undertakers, and it's actually coming out a little bit later this year. So if you enjoyed this one, you won't have to wait very long for the next one, which is exciting. Yeah,
4: Nice. Yeah. Mary, you have a plug. I have a baby, just a tiny plug. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I am going to be on an upcoming episode of The Maniculum, which is Woo! a podcast hosted by Mac Boyle and Zoe Franznick, which focuses on medieval literature. Do I know anything about middle- medieval literature? Mm-mm. So it's, it's a fun time. Uh, basically, the premise of their podcast is that they – Uh, Read a different medieval text on each episode together. Read through it. Um, They both are very gifted and studied in medieval language. And so it's really fun just to hear them sort of like live translating things (laughs) and making references. Um it's also very funny, and they have a good time, like poking fun at some of these medieval texts. They're also both avid D anD D players, so they kind of uh, have a segment where they discuss how they would incorporate parts of the text into a campaign. That's fun. So I'm I'm going to be on an upcoming up. I'm not a hundred percent sure when it's coming out, but I'm going to keep plugging until it does. What Um, are you reading for the episode? (laughs) We read... I cannot remember the exact title of it, but it was wild. (laughs) It was (laughs) basically like a... Mary, you should find out the title and then plug it again. No, I mean, (laughs) it truly is like Thoughts on Travel by Blurda Blur. You know, like it's (laughs) not a memorable name. Um... (laughs) This is me as a non-medieval person uh, saying this. It basically, it's a travel text. Somebody went to the Middle East (laughs) and said, here's what I found. But it's all wild stuff, like chickens that make you spontaneously combust when you touch them. And snakes with ram horns that guard pepper. (laughs) So, it's all wild stuff, and it's really interesting to hear Mac and Zoe point to some actual historical reasons for why it might be written in such a way. Um, Cool. So, in the meantime, while you're waiting for me to be on there, you can listen to The Maniculum, M-A-N-I-C-U-L-U-M, wherever you listen to your podcast. Sweet.
3: on the blog. What's on the blog, y'all? What's on the blog, So much y'all. So, I did an interview with Kim Taylor Blakemore. Um, her new novel, After Alice Fell, is now out. Uh, and you can get it where you get books. Um, it is a historical thriller slash mystery um, about a woman who comes back from Working as a nurse during the Civil War to discover that her sister had been uh, admitted to an insane asylum and then mysteriously died there. And it's been it's being called like a suicide or an accident. She falls after Alice fell. Her name is Alice. She falls. Uh, But anyway, the book is (laughs) really after that. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, uh, her sister doesn't believe that that this is an accident and is investigating what she believes to be a murder. Um and the book is really good and one thing that I really like about it and that I talked with Kim about was her research that she did specifically about um mental health uh during the late 19th century um and just sort of like how different it was then and like how like what their resources were like and stuff like that um and Bad. I think she does a really good job in the book of kind of uh treating this character really fairly and like honoring her and honoring people who suffered with these issues like before they had any kind of mm-hmm. adequate resources. Uh or and even, I interviewed like, the words
4: to describe yeah, it.
3: Exactly. Um and I interviewed her for her last book, which I also really liked, The Companion, and that was like around this time last year, a couple like January or something. So it was fun talking I remember to her that. again. And yeah. Uh it's weird it to think about that. I know, it was really truly like maybe 2 months before the pandemic started and we had no idea. So it's kind of funny like catching up with her and being like, "So, how's it going? How has your year uh changed?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um
5: yeah. Um so we have bachelor feelings. Yeah. Sarah. There's a lot. It's a lot happening in the Bachelor world. Um, so we're not going to be recapping the Bachelor anymore. Um, and Susan and I wrote something together, just sort of like explaining our thoughts on that. Um, since we wrote
2: that, even more has happened. Even more shit okay. has gone down. So also, before we wrote that, though, I wrote yeah. a thing <laughs> about um. Some Bachelor Nation people who are, who do anti racist work, um, which you can still look at. It's there still. There's a footnote. However, Mm -hmm. then, asterisk, yesterday, um, Yesterday, as of us recording, who knows what has happened. Yeah, by the time you hear this, who knows what comes at you fast. In Batch Nation. DM us on Instagram and we'll catch up with you about it. But anyway, Taylor Nolan, one of the people I featured because she had been doing great anti-racist work. Some of her tweets from circa 2011 came out that were quite um racist okay, so. and other forms of hate. There's not
4: an ism um, that's not touched in those tweets.
2: Yeah, yeah it's a uh, mm-hmm. it's bad. So, and for a
5: mental health professional, there's a lot of like really problematic uh things that she says about people that she was working with at the time.
2: Yeah, so um it's not great. <laughs> no. <laughs> um I'm, I don't want to say too too much about it. Yet, because this is like definitely still an ongoing thing. Like, I saw actually right before we started recording, I was on Instagram and I saw that she made another statement regarding her statement yesterday. <laughs> like, like a, an about how her, about apology her apology wasn't apology. great. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Well, so you should have done an actual I, I'm not gonna, apology. I the haven't first read time. it yet, and I don't want to comment too much on it until later.
3: I read <laughs> it. Who knows, I know. Maybe it. we'll blog about it. Um, it basically is what it should have been the first time. Okay, uh, which is like maybe if you had just done that or waited a day, yeah, and this is something that the the four of us talked about yesterday in our
2: in our group text about this is like as as white people, we all know that we have done or said or behaved in racist ways in Mm -hmm. the past or ways that upheld white supremacy whether we were aware of it at the time or not aware of it at the time. It's happened Um, and it's, you know, clearly a part of a lot of people's past that they're not proud of, but it is something that if you're going to be anti-racist, you do have to acknowledge Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then do better. So,
5: Especially if you're going to leave all of that up on your Twitter In a way that's like really easy for people to find, and then say, like, well, it's part of my journey. That's why I left it up Mm -hmm. there. Why have you never acknowledged
2: it? Acknowledged it. Yeah. I don't, I think uh, my theory is that she didn't even remember that it it was there. So,
3: (laughs) pro tip for public, she's like, well, it was part of the journey. But, um, she should probably take it down. Well, there is really a there is a Google setting Twitter. that you can get for Twitter that will erase your tweets after 30 days. And, you know, maybe look into it if you are famous. <laughs> or be like Lakeith Stanfield and just delete stuff. Every- delete it every week. <laughs> Once it gets past the grid on Instagram, you delete it so that no one can scroll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just have nine does. photos always. Yeah. He has like four. Yeah but yeah. Who is this? <laughs> LaKeith Stanfield. LaKeith Stanfield. <laughs> His Instagram is wild. It's so it's not weird. that he posts bad stuff necessarily. He just posts weird stuff and then he deletes it and he always keeps it like above the scroll point. Strange. I'm just gonna look huh. and see what's on there right Sometimes now, he'll just put like curiosity. one time it was just a bunch of pictures of cows. Like <laughs> yeah it's just um, weird. He's a strange man. He's un he's strange. Oh, yeah, there's Speaking only
5: of- one picture on there right now. It's just a picture from Atlanta. <laughs> he just
2: archives everything, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so, it's just, yeah. just back to The Bachelor real quick. Um, I-, I, because people know that we recap this, I actually get a lot of, like, DMs about Bachelor stuff. I love it. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm... And I can't speak for Emily, but I, for one, am happy to chat about this shit with anyone. So, like, oh, yeah. feel free to yeah, yeah. DM us, and I'm probably the one that's going to answer it. <laughs> yeah. Um, But we're not going to be recapping. But if you do have thoughts and feelings on this, please feel free to t- chat with us about it.
5: <laughs> I've had a lot of people who have who don't watch The Bachelor – who know that something's happening, but they don't know what exactly, who have innocently messaged me just like, hey, so, like, what's going on with The Bachelor? And they get, like, way yeah. more of an explanation than they were. I was like, well, let me get some articles up for you to read, <laughs> and here's
3: some
4: interviews. It's, like, it's not something you can explain in one sentence. Yeah, it's
3: I was trying to explain it to my mom on the phone the other day, and I, was, I had to start and be like, well, okay, Rachel Lindsay was the first. <laughs> oh You're yeah. like,
2: backtrack to 20 – yeah, it's 16, like a history lesson. Here's where <laughs>
3: it took me like 20 minutes to explain it to her.
2: 20, oh, 2017. Poor, poor sweet Justin. I, I keep talking to him about this because I'm like, this is a fascinating cultural study if you think about it because it's like the microcosm of this little thing that's happening everywhere and, and he's like, oh my God, I haven't been watching. I have no idea what you're saying or who these people are. Yeah. But he's so sweet. Well, here's he listens my to thing. me and he talks to me about it. <laughs> um, especially because – just, like,
5: looking at a lot of the responses to the apologies that are coming it's out. It's The fact that, like, it's about, maybe this is lenient to say, it's about 50-50, half of the people saying, like, we stand with Rachel, and half the people saying Chris Harrison didn't do anything wrong, um, which is just fucking incorrect. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, that's not even it up for debate anymore.
5: It just reminds me, like, we're we've reached this point with the bachelor where they have fostered an environment and created a show that caters to a racist audience, a um, racist heteronormative and so it's,
4: audience.
5: So it's, there's not a quick fix for this. They have created this fan base. Um, they have normalized this behavior. Um, And so when they try to respond to Black Lives Matter by slapping a Black bachelor into that position and and parading him in front of a bunch of racist viewers, like, why should we be surprised that this is what happens?
4: We shouldn't be. And it's such a big problem with the franchise at this point that their options are continue the way they have continued or be willing to sever a huge chunk of their viewership. And I don't think they are.
2: Yes. Right. No, they're, (laughs) this is also capitalism fucking people over again. Um, But like, I I think a lot of people see all these bachelor podcasts and bachelor recaps and probably hear us going on about it forever and ever and think like, Why does this even matter? It's just some reality show. But this show has such a huge viewership and major
3: cultural clout
2: that Mm -hmm. it does fucking Mm -hmm. matter. A lot.
3: A lot. Well... I will say I think this will be interesting because today they announced that um, author Emmanuel Acho, who wrote – he's also like a former NFL linebacker, I guess. But he wrote a a book called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he will be hosting the After the Final Rose special in place of Chris Harrison. Yeah. So I think that – this has the opportunity to be a really important episode because he is going to be talking directly with Rachel Kirkannell, the you know, perpetrator of mm-hmm. uh racism of the week on The Bachelor, um, in addition to Chris Harrison. I'm and Taylor Nolan. I'm more <laughs> interested in the conversation he's going to have
5: with Matt James, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um based on the statement that Matt James made. I'm expecting him to have a lot to say. Yeah,
3: Um,
2: I'm just. Well, and I hope that not having to talk to Chris Harrison about it gives him the space to say what he does want to say, right? Not what exactly Chris Harrison and the show want him to
3: say. And this, I mean, it seems like. Acho is a person who is going to actually ask real questions, which is not something that Chris Harrison has ever been capable of doing no. in any way, whether it's about racism <laughs> or He's whether a- it's about feelings. Yeah. He doesn't know how to interview in addition to, and that's being, why all
5: of these people who are arguing that without Chris Harrison, there's not going to be a show, and getting all up in arms about this, what this is really about is racism. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way that you can sit here and tell me that Chris Harrison is like excellent at Everyone his job. Knows because he's not. It's been true for a long job. time that he's not. I would honestly
4: give like, me Rachel to host The Bachelor.
5: But also, oh, she wants another. Don't to do make She, her would, do that she wouldn't Jackson. do it, but
4: like, she'd be good at it.
5: Yeah. Um, for all we know, all of this could be – this whole conversation could be out of date by the time this yeah.
2: comes out. So. <laughs> it probably um, will be at the rate things are happening right now yeah. on The Bachelor. I mean, I like, it took me how long to finally write that blog and then, like, I posted it and a couple of days later, it, someone in yeah. that blog was now –
5: Right. something we had to talk so, about so on that note we're gonna go ahead and move along <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: um, <laughs> this is not actually a podcast about The Bachelor weirdly enough <laughs> if yeah. you wanna escape Batch Nation <laughs> come on
4: down Grace to Segway. Stardew Valley yeah where the only racism is me selecting chickens <laughs> I want the blue chickens. (laughs) Anyway, um, I wrote a blog post about Stardew Valley. It was a late to the game blog post, but uh, I played Stardew Valley like a while ago. I revisited it to write this blog post. It is a lovely game about farming. If you enjoy Animal Crossing, you probably would really enjoy Stardew Valley. I freaking love Stardew Valley. It is such a nice escape during quote these times and i've <laughs> yeah. been playing and a if lot if you don't have a
3: switch may i suggest that you download it to your phone because honestly at the beginning of the pandemic i spent hours and hours playing this game on my phone
4: mm-hmm. it's available so. for everything um emily aptly said after i wrote this blog post every time i get on the switch mary's playing stardew valley yeah. and i was like
5: We also are going to be writing a blog post about the film Moxie, which you guys might remember if you're longtime listeners, longtime fans of the blog. Uh, (laughs) Kelly, Mary, and I um, covered this book on our YA Book Club series. I joined in for once. And so, yes, it's not Kelly's series. She just co-opted it for
3: one. Just for the Riot Girl post.
5: Yeah, um, so we felt like it would only be appropriate for us to talk about the movie now that it's coming out. Um, so, yeah, I'm not exactly sure when that's going up. It's either up now. Or it will, will be, be up, up in a couple
3: of days. Okay. If you're okay. okay with that. It's on yeah. Wednesday. Yeah,
4: it's on Netflix, everyone. It's coming out at the same time my Mormon murder show is.
2: <laughs> We're going
5: to make time for this this movie.
2: All right, what's next on the pod? Let's, let's, let's do this. Susan. All right. Um our next book episode is going to be about When No One Was Watching by Alyssa Cole. This is a book that Emily suggested to me and I was like we have to read this for the podcast. It is um it's a thriller but it's about um it takes place in this historically black neighborhood in Brooklyn that is being gentrified and there's some sinister shit going on. That's all I can say about it right now because I'm not done with it yet, but I'm almost done cuz I'm loving it. Okay. Was that fast enough? Mm -hmm. Moving on. Our next other episode is going to be – we're going to read a book for that, too. (gasps) It's going to be The Project by Courtney Summers. This book is about a cult called The Unity Project. Um, I believe it's about a sister – or it's about two yeah, sisters. Yeah, she's,
5: like, trying to rescue her sister from yeah, the cult Yeah, she's, like, something. she's
2: lost her sister to this cult, basically, and she's trying to expose this group for what it is. And along I feel like Courtney Summers has some sister issues to work through because
5: she also wrote Sadie, if y'all read that.
3: I did not. I, I didn't and read was, it, but you
5: recommended that to me, too. She was trying to <laughs> avenge her sister's death in that one, uh-huh. so there's some sister stuff happening. If you haven't read Sadie, I highly recommend it.
2: Well. Go ahead. We're reading a culty book because, also, on the same theme,
3: uh,
2: I have an interview with Sarah Edmondson in the same episode. Um, you have probably seen Sarah on either the Vow or Seduced, those are the two kind of big docu series that have been out about the cult Nexium. Sarah was one of the very first people to go public and go on record about. The abuse that she experienced in this cult, and it led to a lot of other people leaving. Um, she has written a book about her experience called "Scarred: The True Story of How I Escaped Nexi and the Cult That Bound My Life," and we chatted about her book.
3: I'm so excited! I to you're hear. gonna love it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Hooray! Um, yeah. You can yeah. email us. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or anything else, our email address is squad at booksquadgoals.com. You can visit our website, booksquadgoals.com, and then you can add slash blog if you want to look at any of these lovely blog posts. We are at booksquadgoals on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find us on any podcast app of your choice. Um, please subscribe. Please leave us a rating and review. It really helps. And thank you for your support. We love you guys. Thank you yeah. for your service to listening to this podcast. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to mic your diapers. <laughs> no. Disgusting. <laughs> okay.